hope y'all are doing well this morning and just celebrating and, and basking in the glory and the goodness and the love of God. I, I, I just want to take a minute right here before we get going. Let's pray. Father, we want to thank you. Come on. God, I want to thank you. I want to thank you just for salvation. I want to thank you for the opportunity to love you, to just serve you, to get to know you better today, Lord. And I want to thank you that even as we dig into your word, the Bible, that is truth. Father, I thank you that it is the truth that will set us free. It's the truth, Lord God, that will unravel the shackles that have tied us up. Lord God, it is the truth that will bring deliverance and freedom, both in spirit, body, and mind today. So Holy Spirit, we just pray. Help us, Lord, to deliver this word today and help us to receive it by faith. And more than even receive it, Lord, help us to apply it every day in our life moving forward. In Jesus' name, the church said, amen, amen. Well, listen, I want to get started this morning by just suggesting to you uh, that there are moments in life and there's moments in time where all of a sudden something happens and everything is different. You know what I'm talking about? There's those moments where something happens and then everything is different. For example, I was trying to pick several different examples and, and there's just way too many. But one could be uh, if you are a football fan, uh, you know, and you're watching the Super Bowl and, and the team that is preferred to win uh, throws an interception. An interception for those that don't care about football is when the other team catches the ball and it's not their turn, right? And, they, and then now they have possession, okay? Let's get that clear, just so you know where we're going. Um, and so they throw an interception, and all of a sudden, perhaps, the team that is the underdog catches that interception and runs it into the end zone and scores a touchdown, right? And all of a sudden, the, the momentum of the game shifts, and the underdog starts smelling a victory. They start tasting it, and all of a sudden, they start playing beyond their ability, Come on, because they're hungry for the win. Everybody told them they couldn't do it, right? But now they're beginning to sense that, wait a second, we can do this, right? Uh, maybe uh, at work you've been waiting for something great to happen, and all of a sudden the boss calls you into the office. If you're like me, when the boss calls you in the office, you get a little excited but also a little worried. You're not quite sure. You start examining your life real good. What did I do? What did I not do? Did I finish that project? Did I do a good job? Right? And perhaps you go into the office and you're sweating a little bit and then all of a sudden the boss just starts telling you how great of a job you have done and they want to promote you. Not only do they want to promote you, but they want to promote you better and further than you thought you deserved to be promoted. All of a sudden everything changes. You know, there's times in our lives where things occur and everything changes. I remember two and a half years ago in the hospital holding Levi, my son, for the very first time. You know my story. I looked down with awe and wonder because, to be honest, I was holding a miracle. I was holding a miracle that my wife and I had waited year after year after year. And as everybody around us just looked at each other and got pregnant... Come on. We smiled through it, right? But on the inside, we were still struggling. And as I held my baby boy in my arms, and I looked down at him, first of all, with those gorgeous blue eyes, I thought to myself, boy, am I in trouble. But secondly, I realized everything has changed. I can no longer sleep in. My food is no longer my food. My clothes are constantly filled with snot, food, or whatever the drink of the day is. My life has changed incredibly, and can be honest with you, I wouldn't change a darn thing. 
But there's moments in history where all of a sudden something happens and it changes us forever. And I'm here today to tell you that the empty tomb changed everything for you today. I'm here to tell you and to declare that because the tomb was empty, you can have life and life in abundance now. You don't have to wait to get to heaven for things to change in your life. Because of the empty tomb, you can be redeemed, restored, healed, and blessed now, right now. Come on. And so I'm here to declare the good news that the empty tomb is more than just a couple words we sing about. It's more than just pictures we display in our homes. It's the reality of what happened for you and I. And that's that Jesus came down to this earth and he saw the state of humanity. And in the greatest moments, through grace and love, reached down and touched us, reached down and saved us, and reached down and built a bridge so that you and I could get back to the love of the Father. And in just one moment, everything changed. Why don't you say that with me today? Say, today, because of the empty tomb, everything has changed. And it has. Hallelujah. Father, we thank you. So all of a sudden, everything changes. The tomb is empty and all sorts of carnage is transpiring all around. We have people freaking out. We have people excited. We have people fearful. We have people hitting the ground. I mean, if you, if you read about the resurrection story, I've read it several times in preparation uh, for this morning's message, and, and I can't help shake the feeling that there was so much going on. There was like chaos just happening all around, and yet in all of that chaos, this moment of beauty and grace and love transpired. That's a powerful reality, my friends. I'm here to tell you that that empty tomb changes everything. You see, I don't know about you, but as I was reading the resurrection story, I, I'm, a, I'm, I'm a little bit of a Bible scholar. I, I can't say that I'm, I'm, I'm all the way there yet because every time I think I'm all the way there, I realize how much more there is to learn. But I, I love reading, and, and as I've been reading, I figured one thing out. And maybe you knew this before, uh, but maybe you haven't figured out. But I, I figured something out just by reading the Bible that Jesus and the Pharisees and the religious leaders and the high priests at that time did not get along. Every interaction that they had one another was not, as I would call it, pleasant. It was normally kind of some sort of a give and take where the religious leaders were trying to trap Jesus in his words and Jesus already knowing what was in their hearts found a way around them and then left them looking there like a bunch of jabronis. Can I say that in church? I don't know, especially on Easter. I'm not sure. But they were left there just looking to Jesus going, uh, 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 uh. And then they would regather. Okay, we got him this time. Let's say this, this time. Let's get him this way, this time. And, of course, they would nominate someone to be the speaker, and they would go, well, Jesus, what do you say about this? And Jesus would all of a sudden, and he continued to challenge them. He continued to poke and prod at them. They were not what we would say besties, come on, right? They weren't even really frenemies. They were enemies. And it wasn't on Jesus' behalf. You can look at the way that Jesus interacted. He gave them every opportunity to say and to see the foolishness that was coming out of their hearts. 
Because what it was intended to do was the very opposite of what they were doing. They were taking the grace of God, and they had figured out a way to receive a profit from it, and they had turned into a system of money exchange where if they continued to keep the people oppressed, they would continue to be able to live the lifestyle that they wanted to live. And so the fact that the tomb is empty changes everything. So they didn't get along, and Jesus was offensive to the chief priests and the Pharisees because, let's be real, he undermined their authority. In fact, he was disruptive to it and even subversive to their authority. And everything that they were trying to build onto themselves just seemed to begin to break down after each miracle and after each interaction that they had with Jesus. So to use a modern phrase that some of you might be familiar with and perhaps you even used this morning, Jesus was a pain in their behinds. Right? You know what I'm talking about? Everything he did just, just shifted what they were doing and what they were about. He, he really kind of put, uh, 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 you know, like a, like a stick in their, in their plans. That, and, and he was really there to disrupt what was happening in the best way possible. Look at this. The fact that the crooked tax collectors, who, by the way, were on their payroll, the immoral prostitutes, who most of them knew by name, come on, and the uneducated common people all flocked to Jesus, really, really bothered the religious leaders. The fact that Jesus spoke to everybody that a religious leader was not supposed to talk to in those days really irked them, really bothered them. See, Jesus was a man of the people, and he was a man amongst the people. And he was displaying the goodness and the faithfulness of God to the people. So they were tired of Jesus, right? And what do you do when you're tired of someone? Well, you hatch a plan to take that person out. You're examining your life right now because you've probably done this at one point or another, right? That person's annoying. What can I do, right? Maybe I'll just give them the silent treatment. Every they, Melissa said, maybe I'll just exit the room every time they come into it. I now understand how you all feel about me. You love me because you never leave when I enter the room. Right? So here we see Jesus disrupting the very powers that would be. So they hatch a plan. And what was that plan? The plan was, let's take him out once and for all. Let's draw up some bogus charges and let's have him crucified. And that's exactly what transpired. Even though he was only guilty of love, mercy, and grace... He found himself upon the cross. Now, we talk about this quite frequently, and it's not that at any given moment Jesus could not have figured a way off of that cross. Can I just tell you this morning, it was not the nails that held him in place. It was a love that he had for you and I, that until the moment of completion, until what the mission was, was actually finished, done, sealed, and delivered, he was not coming down from that cross on their terms. He was coming down on the cross on his terms. And so after the deed is done, and they seem to have ended all of their troubles, yes, we got him. He is dead. He is alive no more, and there will be no more trouble, and we can go back to our lives that we have curated for ourselves and impressing those who really ought to be in a place where they understand and need the grace of God. See, the teachers and the priests should have been declaring the good news of God to these people, but instead we're exploiting them. 
And so Jesus, while he was still alive, one of them says, wait a second, fellows. Don't you guys remember what he was saying all along, that on the third day I will rise again? I don't think the mission is done yet, boys. we got to come up with a second plan, a, a plan B to make sure that if who he said he was is actually who he is, then we got to make sure that somehow, some way, we lock him into that tomb. That there's no way that he could physically get out. He may rise again, but eventually he will slumber again because this rock that we're going to put in place is going to hold him captive from ever going forth. See, they were afraid. They were afraid because they had seen the miracles. They, 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 they had heard the rumors of the dead rising again. They had heard the rumors of people getting delivered once and for all, which, which whatever system they were working in never had any effect to that measure. They had heard of, of the fact that he was able to feed thousands upon thousands with just a couple morsels of bread. And so they began to think to themselves, even though they didn't really believe he was who he said he was, they wanted some extra security to make sure. They went for the extended warranty, so to speak. Let's make sure that even if he does rise again, we do everything we can to make sure that he stays in that tomb. So they try to stop this from happening, and they go to Pilate. And this is where we pick it up in Matthew 27, verses 62 and on. And it says this, On the next day, which was followed the day of preparation, the chief priests and Pharisees gathered together to Pilate, saying, Sir, we remember while he was still alive how that deceiver, talking about Jesus, after three days I will rise. Therefore, command that the tomb be made secure until the third day, lest his disciples come by night and steal him away and say to the people, he has risen from the dead, so that the last deception, look at this closely, will be worse than the first. Pilate said to them, you have a guard, go your way and make it as secure as you know how. So they went, and they made the tomb secure, sealing it, sealing the stone, and setting the guard. Now, I don't know about you, but it's interesting, because I'm a kind of imaginative guy, and I have a mind that, uh, you know, has a hard time kind of shutting down, because I'm always thinking. I'm always imagining and thinking, and, and I like to get kind of real, dig, dig a little deeper into the Scriptures and put myself in this situation sometimes. And it's interesting that the Jewish people were not allowed to use their own military. You notice that? Right? If it was up to them, they probably would have just done what they thought to do, but they had to go to Pilate. So they go to Pilate and they say, hey, you do something about this. This is going to cause you trouble as much as it's going to cause us trouble, so you do something with this. So they had been under Roman rule for a number of decades at this point. So they had to go and ask for permission. So they go and they say, listen, can you secure the tomb? And what I see here is what is teaching us today is that, come on somebody, you can't stop the work of of God. You can't. You can't stop the work of God. What has been declared and decreed from the beginning of the foundations of the world is going to come to pass no matter what. <laughs> and I don't know about you, but that gets me excited. That gets me excited because if you're like me, you know what God has spoken over your life, but you're also fully aware of all the challenges. You're fully aware of the dedication it's going to take to make it happen. 
You're fully aware that you yourself and me myself is, is, is fully unqualified, right? We're fully unqualified that, that if we were picking teams, we would probably pick ourselves to be last on that team to accomplish what God has asked us to do. And yet here we see this beautiful picture coming forth that God's work cannot be stopped. And so the chief priests, yeah, and the Pharisees, they wanted to stop Jesus from being resurrected. They wanted to stop him from rising from that grave. And they thought we're going to make a plan that absolutely no way is this going to continue. I think it's important that we remember that on this Resurrection Sunday that God's work cannot be stopped. Some of you feel like you've maybe been held on pause for a while. Well, this Resurrection Sunday today, I've been praying that it would be unpaused and that play would begin to happen in your life. I have been praying for each and every one of you that not only would you be acutely aware of what God's plan is for your lives, but that today would be a day of activation, that today would be a day of releasing, that today would be the day where we recognize that the same power that raised Christ from the dead is here for us right now. And whatever stone is in our way, come on, somebody, God is going to roll it out of your way. I'm talking miracles. I'm talking breakthroughs. I'm talking wisdom like we've never experienced before. Some of you young people in this room here today, you're thinking, well, how can God just use little old me? Well, first of all, get rid of that attitude. Because let me tell you something, you are a million times bigger on the inside than you are on the outside. And if you read the Bible, come on, somebody, I'm getting ahead of myself in my notes. This shirt is making me feel good. If you read the Bible, you will see that it is chock full of scared, young, underqualified people that God called for a purpose that seemed absolutely absurd and impossible. But the moment that they said, God, I can't do it on my own. I'm going to have to trust you. You know what happens? God uses weird and wacky things to push forth his will. God used the jawbone of a donkey to destroy an army. If I was picking weapons, I would not pick a jawbone. And after last week's uh, message uh, from, from Pastor Adam, I would de definitely not pick the jawbone of a donkey. Maybe a hippopotamus. <laughs> Maybe an alligator. I would pick something a little bit stronger and better than the jawbone of a donkey. And in the hands of a shepherd boy, God used a few smooth stones to take down a giant that stood in the way of God's plan for his chosen people. And in the New Testament, God chose a murderer, a zealot, someone who was so fierce that when they walked into the room, all of us, out the closest door. I'm talking about Saul, who became Paul and wrote a third of the New Testament. And so we see from beginning to end that God will always make a way for his plan to happen. And so on this Sunday, Resurrection Sunday, I need you to understand something. And that is, is that God's work cannot and will not be stopped. <laughs> wow. 
See, I know, I know, you know, I know that there's things going on. I'm not one of these guys who sticks his head in the sand and just ignores all of the it's. I'm not a guy who denies circumstances, situations, troubles, or trials. I'm a guy who's lived a life and know that when I get called by God to do what he's called me to do, that it's all not just beautiful hills and roses and, and skipping along the way. I fully understand that each and every day I've got to suit up, I've got to armor up, I've got to load my weapons, and I've got to go to war. I know that loving some of my neighbors, just as Melissa was saying earlier, it takes a lot of work. It does. I understand that there's troubles, there's trials, there's, there's different things that I don't ever, ever, ever feel qualified to do, and yet God has called me to do them. So I put my head to the task, and I say, God, I know I can't do it, so you got to come through with another miracle. And you know what happens? He does. Comes through with another miracle time and time again. So I know that there's circumstances in our lives. I'm aware of this. I know that there's situations where God wants to bear fruit in our lives, but come on, somebody, every once in a while we try to put our proverbial foot down and say, God, no, no. It happened to me. Y'all know my story. I got called by God to be a pastor, and and after Bible school, I did the best I could to run whichever way uh, was opposite of the calling. Till I landed back in Ottawa, which you all know, I had no intention of ever coming back to Ottawa. You see, for 16 years, I had wreaked havoc in Ottawa. For 16 years, I left a trail of destruction, broken hearts, uh, burning bridges, right, bullying people. For 16 years, I had laid this foundation of Brian the mean guy. And then I got saved, and the only thing I ever asked God was, God, just don't let me stay in Ottawa. I want a fresh start. Right? But how many people know that God's plans are way better than our plans? I know. I know sometimes you feel underqualified, and I know sometimes you feel like you're underarmed, and I know that sometimes you're just holding on just to get through the day. But I got to tell you something there's more. There's more. There are seasons like this, I understand. But I don't know about you. I don't want to live in that kind of season where I'm just barely getting by. I want to live every day from this day forward understanding the resurrection power, understanding that the same power that was available on this day with these miracles that took place before us is available to me in my life. And I need to understand somebody. I need to understand that God's work cannot be stopped in my life. That's why one of the most common ideas, if you look through the Bible, is the idea of surrender. Or let me put it this way, it's the idea of trust. Because those that put their trust in the Lord, those are the ones that shall run and not be weary. Those are the ones that should be filled with all grace and all wisdom. Those are the ones that shall endure. Those are the ones that shall come out victorious. So many of us know what it's like to resist what God is doing, right? You've done it, I've done it. God says something and you're like, no, 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 no. I think you've mistaken me for somebody else. Um, you know, uh, Lord, have you met my friend? Have you met, have you met so-and-so? Lord, they are so much better at this. Look at the way this person prays. Look at the way they worship. Lord, look at the way they, look at them, Lord. Look, 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 look. You're like Vanna White. Look, look, Lord, look. 
Right? Look, Lord, they're so much better than I am. And God just smiles. I've got a plan for you. Just trust. Just trust. Just trust. And you know what happens all of a sudden? When you start trusting, you start walking. And when you start walking, you start changing. And when you start changing, you begin to realize it was never about you in the first place. That not one of us has ever been qualified to do what God has called us to do. That we're all in the same boat, running this life together, trying to figure out what God has asked of us to do, and then figuring out how to do it. And we're not alone. Come on, somebody. And we got brothers and sisters that can encourage us. We have brothers and sisters that lift us up. We have brothers and sisters that will, will speak the truth to us even when we don't want to hear it. Come on. So here's what's happening. There's all sorts of obstacles in the way. And I'd like to notice that in verse 65 here it said, they said something really, really kind of neat. They said, so that the last deception will be worse than the first. And they're saying to Pilate, listen, the first deception was that Jesus told the people that he was the Messiah, right? They didn't believe that he was the Messiah, but everyone else was believing that he was the Messiah. They said, that's bad, that's bad enough, but you know what would be even worse is if the disciples kind of came in and stole his body and faked the resurrection from the grave. That would be a huge problem for us because now all those that believed to begin with are going to believe a lot more now. It's, it's, it's going to quantify what they were believing. They're, all the fields are going to be there for these people because now there's evidence that who he said he is is indeed who he is. And so verse 66, right, it goes, they went and they made the tomb secure, sealing the stone and setting the guard. Now, first I want you to realize something here, and it's this, is that there was a stone that was rolled at the entrance of the cave. This was a cave that had a huge rock in front of the door, so there was a physical barrier that had been set to keep Jesus at bay. Secondly, they sealed it. Now, I always kind of wondered, what did they seal it with, right? Like, we have all sorts of construction materials that we use to, to seal different things, and I started thinking about what was going on, and after a little bit of studying, what I saw was that a seal was a sign of authentication. Authentication, that's a big word. That the tomb was indeed occupied and that the power and authority of Rome stood behind that seal. Anyone found breaking the Roman seal would suffer the punishment of an unpleasant death. Right? So they have the physical barrier and now they have a second barrier of the seal. Now third, just because those two weren't good enough, there's a guard set. Now, not only is there the physical obstacle and the political obstacle, but now there's just the good old-fashioned personal obstacle. Now, let me just be a little imaginative here for a second. If you were really worried about Jesus rising from the dead, what kind of guard would you put in place? Would you put in place the, uh, the intern who, 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 who is like a, a, a wimpy little uh, spaghetti noodle who collapses at the first sign of trouble? Or would you put the biggest, baddest guard who has a reputation of nothing other than pure carnage and bloodshed? Now, I know what I would do. I don't know what you would do. So I'm assuming that the guard that is in place is a guard that comes with a pretty hefty resume, and if he needs to, will get the job done. I would assume that the, the, the plan of action was that if anybody tries to get out of this tomb, you got one job. Get them back in, dead or alive, preferably dead again. And so you have the stone, 
You have the steel, you have the seal, and now you have the guard. Why? Because they're trying to stop what God is doing. And although there's all these obstacles, and although there's the big stone, the seal, the guard, there's nothing that's going to stop what God is doing. We pick it up in Matthew 28. Now after the Sabbath, as the first day of the week began to dawn, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary came to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone from the door. I love this part, and sat on it. His countenance was like lightning, and his clothing as white as snow. And the guards shook for fear of him and became like dead men. Now, I don't know if you know this, but the Jewish Sabbath is from sundown on Friday to sundown on Saturday. And in that day after sundown on Saturday, you really don't do anything. So now this is Sunday morning. And at dawn, we have Mary Magdalene and the other Mary. I don't know if I'd ever like to be called the other Mary, but whoever this other Mary is, she's there as well, right? They are coming to see the tomb. And it's interesting that on uh, another of the gospel writers tells us that, that they had brought what? Anointing spices. I think it's kind of really good that we kind of dig into this a little bit. Anointing spices they brought. Why? They weren't coming to see a resurrected Savior. They would have liked to, but they weren't coming to see the resurrected Savior. If they were coming to see a resurrected Savior, you think they would have brought something a little bit more fun like a casserole or slice of pizza. Jesus, you've been in here for a few days. You're probably hungry. This is the thing that we do. They were probably Baptists and had a nice casserole dish for them, right? But no, they bring anointing spices. Why? They brought the anointing spices to anoint the body of Jesus. They came to anoint the body of a dead man. And they show up. And can I just say something today? Just by showing up no matter what your intentions are, sometimes you're privy to some pretty awesome encounters with Jesus. See, their intentions were to just prepare Jesus' body to lay there forever. Even though Jesus had said, on the third day, I'm going to rise again. And so I wouldn't really describe them as being in faith at this particular moment. They were just doing what they thought was a good thing to do, taking care of the body, which at that time I'm assuming not too many people wanted to do. They probably didn't even want to be close to that place. They didn't want to be associated with Jesus because they saw what they did to him. And yet they show up. Can I tell you, sometimes you just got to show up. Sometimes you just got to be there. Maybe you ain't feeling it, but I'm going to tell you, you stick around long enough, it's going to become more than a feeling. It's going to become your reality. And so they show up, and when they show up, it gets real. I love this. There's a great earthquake, the angel of the Lord, whose countenance is like lightning. Have you ever seen lightning before? Can you imagine someone whose countenance is like lightning? That's pretty intense. That's some strong imagery right here, right? Who, who rolled back the stone, and as a reminder that God's work cannot be stopped, sits on the very thing that was intended to stop the work of God. I love this. I never thought of angels having a little bit of swag, but I love the fact that, that as, as, as a sign to all those who were around, just rolls the stone, I don't know how they did it, just whoop, right? And then as a declaration of defiance, just sits on the stone, and I don't know why, but I imagine like, right, like, who's next? <laughs> and the guards, what do they do? 
The Bible says they fall as dead men. And I'm sure if they're like me, after about 10 seconds, you open your eyes, still there. That was very dramatic. They fall as dead men, the Bible says, because the glory of the Lord is there, and his work will not be stopped. They fall. And notice what the angel begins to say here, right? I can't imagine what's going on here in their minds. The earthquake is enough. Have you ever been in an earthquake before? My dad was in an earthquake in Mexico. And uh, he said that they were in a high rise, and he said that the floor was doing the wave. Like, we've experienced little earthquakes here in Ottawa area. It's like, whoa, and, you know, the cookies are shaking on the, and then that's it. But I've never been in a situation where the, where literally the concrete was rolling like waves. My dad, I don't know if you, some of you know my dad, he's a tough guy. He's a scary guy. He's the type of guy that I wouldn't want to mess with, and I'm his son. Never proved any reason why I should be scared of him, but he's just, he's got this presence about him. And when my dad said to me, son, I have never been as scared as I was in that particular moment. I can imagine why these guys would drop dead. The earthquake was enough. Now the stone has been rolled away, which probably took a whole bunch of human power, probably some horsepower, and one angel comes and then sits on it and stares at us. What is going on here? And look what the angel says. He says to the Marys, don't be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified, and he is not here, for he has risen, as he said. Now, Joel, Jesus told people that he was going to be resurrected from the grave, and despite people's best efforts to stop it, they just could not stop the work of God. Now, what happens next is really what I want to get to. What happens next is exciting, because notice what the angel says to the Marys. We pick it up in Matthew 28, verse 5. He says, but the angel answered and said to the women, do not be afraid, because let's be real, there was enough going on that we would have all been afraid. Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He's not here, for he has risen. As he said, come, see the place where the Lord lay, and go quickly and tell his disciples that he is risen from the dead. And indeed, he is going before you into Galilee. There you will see him. Behold, I have told you. So they went out quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to bring the disciples' word. Now, firstly, the angel says, come and see. Then the angel says, go and tell. Now, I think it's important reality for us on this Resurrection Sunday. We need to understand that all of us need to come and see. You come and see that God is a Savior. And you come and see that He's Restorer. And that He's Redeemer. And that He is love embodied. You come and see, the Bible says, come and see how good the Lord is. And you begin to experience his goodness. And that's what we do collectively as we congregate together in this building on a weekly basis. We come and see how God is good. Actually, many of you don't know this, but when we were building this building, the word that we received was build me an auditorium where I can demonstrate myself. And so we come and see how good God is and we experience. But it's the go and tell part that I want to talk to you about today as we finish up. 
If your experience of church is coming reluctantly once in a blue moon just to check off some sort of religious chores list, then I could see why it's not something that is of value to you. However, church is more than something that we just come to. Church is in this building that we meet in, as nice as this building is. Church isn't this idea of an organized religion either. Church is you, and church is me. And it's when we are coming together in his presence. We, we are the ecclesia. We are the called out ones that have come and seen. But more than that, now we're going to go and tell. And so when Jesus is in the room, there's always a moment to come and see and to experience, to have a moment with the risen Savior. But always, always, always is their go and tell type of charge. Coming to church only really feels fulfilling when we are also simultaneously joining God's story in this world beyond these walls. Everything that you experience in here is so that you can take it out there. When you experience grace, when you experience forgiveness, when you experience the radical love of God that you have been searching for your entire life, trying to fill the hole that is in your heart that can't be filled with no drink, no drug, no addiction, no movies, not the newest Netflix binge-worthy show, none of that can fill the hole in your heart that was intended for Jesus to fill. And so he says, come, come and see. Come and see how good I am. Come and see that I am indeed who I said I was. Come and experience the grace that I told you was available for you today. Come and experience the resurrection power in your life today. Come and have your dreams resurrected. Some of you were dreamers at one point in your life, but for one reason or another, those dreams have taken a sidestep. Let me tell you, today is a day where God is resurrecting your dreams. Some of you had passions that because of life and, 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 and everything else that's going on, you had to put on the back burner, and God is telling you today, come and see and go and tell. I'm resurrecting your passion today. I'm resurrecting your first love today. I'm resurrecting the love that you experienced me in that moment where you cried out to me for forgiveness. That I am reuniting in you today. Because the same power that raised Christ from the dead is here now. So I want to encourage you and I want to challenge you. Matthew, you can do your thing there. So how did Mary and Mary respond? I love this. The Bible says they were both terrified and filled with joy. I don't know what that looks like. Ah! Ah! I don't know. I don't know if maybe they had like a crooked smile on their feet. Like, I don't know. I don't know what it means to be terrified and filled with joy at the same time. I would imagine that the weight of being the ones that would declare that he is truly risen sunk into them. And I would imagine that they were being flooded with all sorts of emotions in that moment. He is who he said he is. And he has done what he said he would do. And all along he was giving us these little warnings. And all along he was telling us exactly what was going to transpire. And it happened. And it occurred. And he is who he says he is. He is the Son of God. He is the Redeemer of all humanity. He is the perfect Lamb of God who was sacrificed once and for all. 
He is the one who can take away the sins of the world once and for all. He is, my friends, the death of death. Once and for all, he took care of that big, bad, scary word, death. And now we have the opportunity to put our hope and our trust in the Son of God, who is who he says he is, and has done what he said he will do, and will continue to do what he has promised us he will do. The only requirements, don't be afraid. Rejoice and trust in Jesus. In the same way that a lot of us has chosen to give ourselves over to fears, we have the opportunity to give ourselves over to Jesus by faith today. The reason why the empty tomb is so important is because Jesus, who did nothing wrong, conquered the power of death and decimated the hold of sin on our lives. It is truly the death of death. You see, you and I, my friends, we're mortal at one point or another, whether we like it or not, and despite what everybody in this world is trying to do to stay younger, at one point or another, we will all breathe our last breath on this earth. But if we put our faith and trust in Jesus, the Bible says we take on Jesus' immortality. You and I have corruption in our hearts, my friends. But as we believe in Jesus, we take on his incorruption. See, we hit that point in the Bible, and we sang a little bit this morning where we say, Listen, O death, where is your sting? Hell, where is your victory? This is an act of defiance here. You know what? They lose. Fear, death, sin have all lost once and for all. And we're more than conquerors, the Bible says, because we have the victory through and in our Lord Jesus Christ. So that's what Resurrection Sunday, in my books, is all about. And I hope it's for you as well. It's about the victory that Jesus won by conquering the grave. And it's about celebrating the death of death once and for all. And it's about an opportunity for a new life in Jesus that extends beyond this life and into eternity. All he asks of you today, my friends, is that you would simply believe in his victory. That you would simply just trust him. The invitation to come and to see is here and it's now. That truly he is your Lord and your Savior. The invitation to come and see that he really is our mighty Redeemer is here right now. To come and see that he is a restorer that he is your deliverer, and that he is the way to true and everlasting freedom from sin and death. My friends, today on this Resurrection Sunday, the choice is yours. Will you choose Jesus? Will you allow him to become your Lord and Savior? Would you accept what he did for you upon that cross and the fact that three days later he rose again from death with the keys to life in his hands? For you, for you, for you, and you, and you. If that's you today and you want Jesus as your Lord and Savior, I'm going to put a prayer up above my head here. And I would ask that you would just as a simple act of trust and faith, would you say this prayer with me? Say it out loud. Mean it in your heart. Believe it. Receive it. 
In Jesus' name, let's pray together. Jesus, thank you for paying the price for my salvation. I ask you to forgive me of every sin. And I repent and I'm purposing to change the way that I think and live. I accept you as my Lord and my Savior. Jesus, help me to learn about you and to grow in this kingdom lifestyle. I declare that you're my Lord and my Savior. Thank you for receiving me today in Jesus' name. And he does receive you. Father, I thank you that today choices have been made to follow you. Choices have been made, Lord, to receive you as Lord and Savior. And on this Resurrection Sunday, my prayer for each and every person here today is that we would begin to live a life that truly understands that resurrection power is available to each and every one of us here today. We love you, Lord. We thank you, Father. We give you all the glory and all the praise in Jesus' name. And everybody said... Amen and amen. Well, listen, I love you all. I appreciate you so much. I thank God for you each and every day. And my hope and my joy as your pastor is that you will come and see, but you will also go and tell. Amen.